Well, hello and welcome to episode number 287 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me live in the PTUK studios this week, as always, it's a man who really does know how to push all the right buttons. It's Matt Smith. <laughs> Depends in what subject matter. Hello, mate. You are right. Yeah, yeah. How are you? Yeah, yeah. We're having a couple of technical issues here, as uh, uh, people who are watching live will be fully aware, but hopefully they'll be resolved and we can get Armando on the line. But the main so, thing fingers is, crossed, the main yes. thing is you've, uh, you've been enjoying some uh, treats. I have, yes, absolutely, since because I, uh, Carlos has decided essentially that I'm not fat enough, and so uh, basically <laughs> brought me a chocolate bar, and now we're munching uh, peanut M&Ms, which are really pleasing, uh, Nev, no end, aren't they, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yes, so joining us as well this week, as always, uh, it's the king of everything uh, technical, it's uh, Neville Bounds. Hello, yes, here I am, back uh, once again, and uh, really looking forward to a great show. It's been another busy week for me, um, but uh, yeah, lots of uh, lots of good stories this week, and uh, lots of stuff to uh, show you as well, so uh, yeah, should be a good one. Excellent. And also joining us now, he's managed to fight his way can, through... Can I have a lie down now, in, please? <laughs> he's managed to fight his way through the uh, internet... Uh, well, the hideous that is the internet. It's uh, the awesome Armando. Hey, everybody. I am the opposite of the king of everything technical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so He's, I'm currently... Yeah. You know what works great is the iPad. The iPad ah, if, if, up to the microphone works fine. Okay. While my computer... Um, is having a meltdown. Yeah, yeah, recovers from its meltdown. <laughs> yes, okay, <laughs> lovely, good news. Well, at least you're here. That's the main thing. You've been missing for far too long. Uh, missing in action, I think it's fair to say. So uh, somebody had a little bit of fun at the uh, Reno Air Show, I believe. Ooh. Guys, I can't wait to play out some of these interviews, but uh, it was a, a just a blast out there. I, I feel like it just gets more and more fun every time and uh, just amazing displays of airmanship uh, and I can tell you guys about it later. We you know we have a great interview with James Stringer, who mm. was mm. the uh, he's a he's a Brit that uh, comes all the way over to race in Reno. But uh, we had some just really really neat and challenging situations. The weather was challenging, and some of the aircraft had some technical issues that resulted in pretty big issues. You know, one, one aircraft ended up burning up on the runway, but the pilot wow. was just fine. And in fact, it was uh, Jody Ruger, you know. Uh, yeah, Jody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So her fiance, Sean, had just an amazing story. It was a simple gear issue. This is the 30 second version. A simple gear issue that turned into an electrical issue uh, combined with electronic ignition turned into an engine issue. So one <gasps> oh, thing wow. led to another, another, wow. into a dead stick landing with him. Uh, no gear, landing it on the runway, skipping it all the way down the runway because he had uh, too much energy. So his new call sign is Skippy. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we can joke about it because he, as soon he as he came to us, yeah, he jumped out of his airplane <laughs> at, and watched it uh, quickly be engulfed in flames. Oh, so. wow. But at least he's but, safe. Yeah, he's safe. And he, that, that afternoon he came back and debriefed all the rest of the pilots, which is what I love about Reno is there's their competitors, but there's an amazing camaraderie between all the pilots and the crews and uh, everybody's there to learn from each other and keep it a safe environment. So really just great, great time out there. And I'm already looking for, forward to doing it next year. 
Fantastic. So as Nev said, we've got loads of news stories this week to get through. And uh, as Armando said, we've got a great segment from Armando coming up later on the show. Uh, which is absolutely awesome. I had the pleasure of watching that this morning whilst I was having breakfast. All right, busy, so, busy then, were I you? Know. Date and time check, 20th of September, and uh, just coming up to five past seven here in the UK. Welcome to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Chris Griggs, hello to you. Richard Adams, we've got Owen. Hello, Owen. He's in the chat room. Auntie Liz, uh, Masha, Tanya W is also in the chat, uh, chat room. Also, Max Trescott is uh, just dipped in Good to heavens. say hello. <laughs> and uh, Neil Lamwan, hello to you, Neil. Uh, Jan Hubner, hello to you, Jan. Nice to see you in there. Nicholas Hugh. Hello to you, Nicholas. Nice to see you in the chat room. Finally catching a live stream, he says. Hello Ooh. to everyone. So hello to you, Nicholas. Good to see you in there. And also, we've got our main man, Micah, Aww. in the chat room as well this week. Yeah, the, the, our, the main man to the rescue, it's the main to man to the rescue. Week. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, welcome to everyone who has joined us for the live stream tonight. So we're going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're Ready, Armando? <laughs> Ready to go. <laughs> Nev. Yes. Matt. Uh, Push yeah, that Yeah, why button. not? Yeah, let's 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 go. <laughs> So kicking off this week's first news story then, this one is on the mirror.co.uk and uh, for those of you who listened to last week's show may remember me talking about uh, a case coming along the carousel after we landed oh, back yes, at Luton, yes. smashed to smithereens right. with bits of clothing But you didn't out. fly with EasyJet. No, this, uh, this headline, EasyJet passenger furious after airline loses suitcase and destroys oh everything in it. Now there are pictures that Matt might be able to put on the screen right, for us okay. if it's good. Yeah. But uh, the story is an air, air EasyJet passenger uh, was furious when the budget airline lost her bag. And then when Eloise Walsh suitcase finally returned to her, it had been destroyed along with most of the items inside. Uh, she returned from Al oh, Malaga to London Gatwick on September the 15th when her luggage went missing. The airline found her bag three days later, which they then sent to her, but said it had suffered significant damage. In a video posted on Twitter, she wrote, uh, I wonder why all of this packaging was over it. But here it is. And the pictures are on the website. Oh. She then showed her suitcase, which had a large crack down the middle. That's definitely true. And chunks of plastic case missing. Uh, it's inside the suitcase. It had all been smashed as well as her work phone, which had also had a smashed screen. Uh, she also explained that uh, three of her new dresses that she was going oh, to return, no. how convenient, <laughs> had been destroyed with sun cream, which had right. exploded in the bag. Uh, the story goes that uh, other damage included uh, crumpled sunglasses uh, case as well as many of her shoes and bags being crushed and stained. She said, oh and it gets better she says, uh, you've also squashed my favourite pair of shoes which again were not cheap, how convenient. Uh, completely and utterly squished. See what she also Do you think said. perhaps what might have happened is that she'd basically done all her shopping for holiday at Primark? 
and then this <laughs> happened and decided actually this might be a neat way of ma- managing to get all of her uh, her clothes up you know get a, a designer wardrobe essentially but well yeah, easyjet yeah. did respond via twitter did they as right. the airlines love to do apologizing for the damage and recommending she contacts the damaged luggage team at easyjet right. where apparently passengers can claim up to 1150 pounds if an airline breaks your suitcase now, Breaks your I, I, I had think a, it's a bit beyond broken. I, know. I had a damn good look at these pictures, and I, I have to say, Armando, would you say this has been rug, run over by possibly a baggage cart of some description? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I think I mentioned this a couple months ago. I used to work as a ramp rat, and we, I used to drop bags all the time because you're trying to get to the next gate, and if a bag falls off the cart a lot of times you didn't turn around somebody else would just pick it up but sometimes those carts are doing 45 miles per hour so um yeah this bag looks pretty beat up uh, and you know maybe it's if you buy a cheap well, i mean everything else in there was was very expensive but maybe it was a cheap bag that uh, is just made out of you know regular plastic or something and just i feel bad for her but i you know hey it comes with the territory yeah, no, I, I stick. But I stick. My, my my theory is the fact that it was essentially a load of Primark specials, <laughs> and she's just so that that's my that's my line, and I'm sticking to it. What do you reckon, Nev? Yeah. Oh yes, Primarni. That's where we. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it d- definitely is more than a drop, isn't it? That, that yeah. that's run over. There's no. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, something terrible has happened to that suitcase. Yeah. But let, you know, as you say, I mean, these things do happen at the end of the day, don't and they? And that's why, before we go on holiday, we all purchase holiday insurance. Right. Uh, okay. Oh yes. I, <laughs> of course we do. Yes. Okay. 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 Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Oh, remember right. that, guys and girls. Anyway, okay. I have. Oh, there one, one of Carlos's many, many top tips for life. There, <laughs> indeed. So moving on to the next story uh, for Matt, which oh. obviously is going to be a Ryanair story, but you know, it's we're going to sort of tie it in with the Max story. So come oh, on, Matt. no, really, you're going to mix my We've two got to get favorite some things all together. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay, here we go. Uh, Reuters is the website, and the headline is Ryanair expects to be flying the Boeing three seven three seven Max. By February to March 2020. Mm. Uh, so Ryanair thinks February um, or the start of March is the most realistic timetable for it to start flying the grounded 737 MAX aircraft, CEO Michael O'Leary said on Thursday. The Federal Aviation Administration, that's the FAA, needs to approve proposed software and training changes by Boeing uh, for the best-selling plane that has been grounded since March in the aftermath of two fatal crashes in five months. Uh, Major US airlines have cancelled flights of the MAX into December, while Southwest Airlines have cancelled flights into early January. Ryanair, which is one of the big customers of the MAX with 135 firm aircraft orders and 75 options thinks January is the best case but unlikely scenario. After the FAA had had uh, finished its review, the plane will need approval by the European Union Aviation Safety Agency and the MAX 200 model flown by Ryanair will require additional approvals. Uh, the best outlook is the first aircraft would come into service in January. The more realistic outcome, the end of February slash March, uh, O'Leary told journalists after the airline's annual general meeting. If it flies in North America this side of Christmas, I think we are pretty secure. It will be back in some time around end of February, March. He said O'Leary said that the current delivery timetable depends on Boeing getting approval for service 
in the United States towards the end of November. We believe we are about two months behind that, he said. O'Leary said that he would hope to see the FAA and the EASA certify the aircraft together, but that was not certain. I think they, the FAA and the EASA, are largely on the same page, but they don't agree on everything. I think we covered a story last week, didn't we, where there was some, Mm. uh, you know, one one was less concerned than the other, perhaps. Um, It's clear that at the moment, most of Boeing's time and effort is focused on addressing the FAA first, because until the FAA certifies it, it's not an issue for the EASA. Um, it's uh, Ryanair has already cut the number of MAX planes it will fly in the summer of 2020 from th- uh, to 30 from 60 and further delays could lead to further cuts he said uh, but he added that Ryanair was in a good position to re- retrain pilots on any system updates uh, as it has two MAX simulators. If the MAX was never certified it would be devastating for the industry due to order backlogs and the major aircraft manufacturers He said, uh, what's our plan B? We don't have a plan B. That's how confident we are in the product. So there we are. There's been so many conflicting reports Mm. uh, on the news wires over the last sort of few weeks about when these aircraft will return, get recertified, blah, 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 blah. But I just think, you know what, we're just going to wait until the FAA Mm. does say you can fly the MAX, I think. Because uh, it's just so much hearsay and, and bits and pieces. But I'm, I tell you what, if anyone's going to get these Maxes flying the, the quickest, it's going to be O'Leary. I think. Well, yeah, I dare say they're sat yeah. there waiting, to, waiting to go into service, aren't they? I mean, it's uh, you know as soon, mm. as soon as they get the okay. My, but then again, I suppose you've got to wait for the updatey, uh, the you know the updated software to kick mm. in and uh, and uh, make sure the pilots are 100 uh, percent clued up, clued up yeah. on what they're doing. Any thoughts, Armando? Nev? Yeah, I, I just wonder whether. EASA will certify it straight away, or whether they will, uh, they want to do a separate thing, I know, but it'll be interesting to see what mm. happens and whether that creates any more today. Interestingly, actually, just sort of topping on from that, on the Simple Flying website uh, that somebody just sent me a link to, uh, it says Ryanair has paused payments to Boeing for the 737 MAX aircraft, which is interesting. Was that you or me? No, that's probably you. My uh, sound. No, well, off. I on the sound's off. Uh, it, it was me. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. There. Shock horror. Uh, yesterday it was reported that Ryanair has frozen payments to Boeing while it waits for the 737 MAX <laughs> to obtain approval for commercial passengers. So I guess that's not really that much of a I'm surprise. I'm surprised it's not it? clawed the money back. Well, absolutely, you know, yeah. Compensation. So it's, uh, which you can't blame them for, I suppose. Mm. Uh, and presumably Boeing aren't going to be spitting their toys out, out their pram too much because obviously I think it's a bit much to continue to, to expect to continue receiving mm. payments uh, based on an aircraft you can't fly. I don't know. What do you think, Nev? Oh, well, I would have thought that they, they cannot afford to have another moment here, can they? So they've got to make sure that it is spot on, that the crews are properly trained and that everybody is happy with it. So whether the FAA and EASA certified at the same time will be interesting to see. I think EASA might take a little bit longer, um, just so that they're absolutely sure and they're doing it in an independent way. In fact, they've insisted on, on, on doing, doing that. So yeah. we shall have to see. Mm. Yeah. I, I think interesting uh, for, for me, though, personally, uh, what, I, what I find kind of interesting about this is uh, given, so this is a slightly off the wall thing, obviously, but essentially Ryanair's model entirely relies on the fact that it's got a, an impeccable safety record. So if they're, you know, I mean, I, I do feel that that does say something about how they feel about this aircraft. If they're essentially willing to continue pursuing this, um, 
they must have confidence in the product. Otherwise, I, I'm sure he, you know, Ryanair would be the first airline to say, nah, nah, you're right. Uh, if they had any concerns over it, perhaps, as you say, because I, th I think, I mean, we've we've said in shows in the past, haven't we, essentially, if, any, God forbid, anything should happen to an, a Ryanair aircraft, essentially, you know, the minute that low cost equals low safety, essentially, the, the model's dead, isn't it? I mean, if anybody's got more to lose over over a 737 MAX, um, you know, yeah, there is a, there's another bit on the Simple Flying website, actually, where it does say that they're, according to the, the, the order books, there are over 4,600 of these MAX jets yet to be delivered to customers. Wow. That's quite a backlog. 4,600? <laughs> that's quite a backlog. Wow. That, that, well, I mean, we saw pictures of the car park earlier in the year, didn't we? I mean, that's, mm. that's quite a car yeah. park. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, moving on to the next story, and uh, good news story for anyone in India who likes to fly with Neb's favourite airline. Ooh, yes, and it's on the simpleflying.com, and I'm going to give this site... Eight out of ten for the font. Oh, brilliant! Oh, that that's praise indeed, sir. Praise not indeed. Not bad. Not bad at all. Well, no. it says that um, Indian base is planned for British Airways cabin crew. Um, BA is planning to open a cabin crew base in Hyderabad, India. Uh, the move is to provide more Telugu-speaking crew on the route from London to Hyderabad from 2020. Uh, India is an important market for British Airways. In fact, over the past six years, the airline has launched several uh, adverts targeted at passengers traveling between London and India. Uh, today, business travel uh, uh, revealed that the British airline is going to start basing crew in India. This will see Telugu speakers trained in London and acting as crew on the London to Hyderabad route. Uh, around uh, a year ago, BA announced it was closing its Hong Kong crew base. Uh, BA is attempting to tailor its Indian services towards all passengers. Indeed, according to Business Traveller, two Indian crew members are rostered onto every flight operating to and from the country. Uh, the airline continues to operate to five destinations within India. These flights all operate from the airline's home base at Heathrow and fly to uh, Bengaluru, uh, Chennai, Delhi, Hyderabad and Mumbai. Indeed, the route to uh, Bengaluru uh, is set to be the fourth to receive the carrier's new Airbus A350 aircraft. Um, so passengers on the Hyderabad to London route will benefit from cabin crews speaking the local language of the region. And according to the uh, 2011 Indian census, there are 81 million native speakers of the language. Uh, wow. These speakers are mostly concentrated in the central part of the east coast of India. Uh, the crew will be um, fully-fledged members of the BA cabin crew, and they will have been trained at the carrier's main location in London to the same standards as any other member of crew. The only difference will be that they'll start and end their working day in Hyderabad as opposed to London. According to BA... Uh, adding a crew base in India will give customers a familiar culture during their journey, uh, Morgan Berger of BA told Business Traveller. Uh, India is a diverse country with different languages spoken across cities. Opening an additional base in Hyderabad means that we can offer customers the language skills and familiar culture they value for a comfortable journey. Uh, flights between the UK and India are an important market, and whilst British Airways has been targeting adverts specifically to the route, other airlines are also looking to join in on the action. 
Uh, earlier this year, uh, Simple Flying website caught up with Nino Judge, the CEO of low-cost startup Flypop, just looking at one single route between London and Amritsar. Right, Not served by British Airways. Um, and uh, the ju judge told us that the route has approximately 200,000 passengers per year. That low-cost startup is called Flypop. Just in case. <laughs> Carlos, I, I, I had to laugh a bit more. I just had to. <laughs> I, had, I hadn't heard of Flypop, yeah. and I just had to just Google it, and it was actually founded in 2014. You're actually a child at heart, aren't you? It's, <laughs> it's just I don't know. And look, at, I, mean, I mean, it's the, not it's not the best name. Their livery, <laughs> their livery is something to make your eyes oh, hang oh, out God. of your head. What did, what, what, what did you search? <laughs> it's for, like. Man? It's like the uh, the tail section of the aircraft has got a severe case of uh, measles. Uh, oh, <laughs> here here in the U.S. we've got uh, Dippin' Dots ice cream. That reminds me of a uh, Dippin' Dots. So it's it's, it's little ice cream uh, flavor here. <laughs> uh, yeah, fly, uh, that, fly pop. I was just gonna say, you know, fly, fly pop. have got um, just looking at there. Um, they actually got quite a nice website. Actually, it looks quite nice. But I think they've got MOC Airbus stuff. Um, I, w I was thinking while while uh, we were reading the story that, you know, India is the second most populous country in the world, so this is probably going to be a huge market for BA. But in addition to just the passenger comfort that they talked about, it's it's going to be a safety issue if they're going to be running A350s full of people. You know, it's probably going to be a huge safety advantage to be able to speak in the local language in, in the event of an evacuation or even just boarding the airplane, really. For those of you watching on the world of YouTube, just so you see the mats popped up. The I, website I see what there. you mean. The, the, the tail fin does look like it's got, and that that actually moves into the uh, the interior as well because every single headrest has a different coloured dot on the headrest, which is quite nice on their A330 aircraft. So yeah, for the one for those of you who may not have heard of Fly Pop. So moving on to the next story then uh, for you, Armando, and a uh, bit of a worrying story this is if you're flying Vietnam Airlines. Yeah, that is an understatement. This is just a couple of days ago. The crew of a Vietnam Airlines Boeing 787 failed to lower the plane's landing gear and were forced to make a missed approach in Melbourne, uh, just a thousand feet above the ground. The Australian Transport Safety Bureau has launched an investigation into an incorrect configuration incident uh, involving a Boeing 787 registration uh, Victor November Alpha 870 uh, operating as flight Victor November 781 Vietnam Airlines. Uh, let's see, the ATSB said that during the approach to landing, Melbourne Air Traffic Control advised the crew that the aircraft's landing gear was not observed to be extended. The crew then initiated a missed approach. The 787 was only 1,500 feet above sea level when the crew initiated the go-around. According to Flight Radar 24, uh, Melbourne Airport is 424 feet above sea level. Said that as part of the investigation, it will obtain information from the flight crew and additional information as required uh, they're looking to release a report on the investigation. Um, should there be a critical safety issue during the course of the investigation, the ATSB will immediately notify those affected and seek safety action to address the issue. Yeah, uh, I can see this happening from a private pilot <laughs> in a Bonanza or a light twin or something like that. But uh, the fact that a 787 is coming down with no gear probably demonstrates to me uh, a crew discipline issue, maybe a checklist discipline issue, training issue, and no safety checks being conducted by anyone on board. So um, 
you know, it, every time we hear about something in, in the Pacific market, we, we start questioning the training of the pilots out there compared to the Western countries. And, you know, there's a lot of opinions and speculation on that, but what, uh, you know, good job for the ATC controllers on preventing a mishap. Kind of think what what happens with the uh, checklist, uh, you know, on their you know, before landing checklist that they kind of go, you know, flaps, you know, speed brakes, um, landing gear. Oh, did anyone want the coffee while we're here? Yeah. Or, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a good point, Carlos. Sometimes that happens on whatever airplane you're flying where you get a distraction in the middle of a checklist. And the way I was trained was to stop that checklist. You don't, you don't uh, continue the checklist and say, oh, oh, we'll come back to whatever, you know, the gizmo beam uh, flip to the ON position or, or whatever. Uh, you pause a checklist and you don't move on from that checklist until that all of the items have been complete. But it's, it's incredibly easy to get distracted from a checklist. But uh, again, it, flying a 787, I, I would expect uh, more discipline from the pilots. Or that, uh, that noise that comes out from the flight deck saying, too low, gear. Yeah, there yeah. are warnings yeah. also. I'm sure the 787 has some kind of gear warning, at, mm. you know. Perhaps uh, if there's any uh, Dreamliner pilots listening to the show, you can give us a, give us an email. Drop us an email. Let us know what, uh, what possibly could have gone wrong here. Anyway, before we move on to the next story, I'm going to say a quick hello to Andrew Hobson, who's watching us live at home tonight. So hello to you, Andrew. He's uh, one of, one of uh, our employees at work. So hello to you, Andrew. Oh, I mean, if anybody else wants to give a shout out to the people they work with, uh, by, by all means, feel free. He uh, is what, to be fair, he is watching the show. Is he? Whether, okay. whether he's watching the show on his phone or not, I, I couldn't honestly tell. Why is he, he struggling is. to sleep? Is he? Is that what? No, no, no. Okay. He has young. He has a young child, so I'm right. sure that okay. uh, he misses out on plenty of sleep. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. So, moving on to the next story. This one is on the CBS58.com, and uh, it's the. It's the headline that's on everyone's breath. Everyone's yeah, just waiting to hear about this. And it's, what's in your airline's water? New study ranks water quality. Oh, right. well, it depends on where they're taking it from. I mean, if they're taking it from the toilet, obviously, then that's a different kettle of fish. Altogether. I must admit, it's something that I don't generally don't tend to do on, on long-haul flights. Because you do have the ability well, drink, to, to, drink to have from the, from the fountain thingy. Right. And that a lot of the large long-haul airlines oh, do have oh. uh, drinks fountain type, uh, type um, things on the air, oh. aircraft. But uh, the uh, study ranks the safety of onboard water on several of the US-based uh, airlines. Uh, this water is used in tea and coffee and also in the bathrooms. According to a USA Today, the study based rankings on water test violations, positive for E. coli water sample reports, oh, and the airline's willingness to answer water quality questions. The study says a score of three or more uh, indicates the airline has relatively safe and clean water. So they've done a kind of top ten of the uh, best airlines. Uh, we shan't play the music, but uh -oh. uh, the, the, the list of ten goes as follows. So uh, in the top spot is Alaska Airlines. Uh, Allegiant actually came in at number two. Hawaiian Airlines in at number three. Frontier in four. Uh, Southwest in fifth. Uh, Delta Airlines came in at sixth. And, oh, well done, Matt. He's found the music. And in at seven, American Airlines. Uh, number eight was United Airlines. Uh, good news for Brian Coleman, because I bet he loves a brew on the aircraft. <laughs> uh, JetBlue came in at number nine. And the airline with the worst water to drink, full of 
things you just don't want to drink. It's Spirit Airlines. Right. So if you're travelling with Spirit Airlines, the best drink for you is probably, well, a Spirit. Right, alcohol. Alcohol. Some description. Okay. So experts, (laughs) apparently, according to the survey, recommend passengers don't drink tea or coffee on board. And instead of washing their hands in the bathroom, just bring hand sanitizer. The study also looked (laughs) at regional airlines. Uh, Air Wisconsin Airlines, which operates as United Express, received a score of (laughs) 0.67. Wow. That's not a good score, is it? Uh, Yes. So um, I feel a bit bad now. I feel worried now. I I had a coffee on board. Yeah, you know, last week. But well, on Ryanair, yeah. but it didn't mention Ryanair, did it? So it's no, it didn't. So no, that, these are all that's because it was all... so good. Uh, Armando, I'm guessing as you're based over in the US, um, uh, this is worry at all. <laughs> it is a little worrying. <laughs> I, I had to look up the the numbers. So Neil asked relative to what? Uh, apparently, in the study, it's a zero to five scale. So I guess it's a little worrying that the highest score was a three point three. So good job, Alaska Airlines. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, still awful. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the of, the, uh, of the regional airlines, only Piedmont uh, scored above a three. And, uh, and is, is so. that an inkling as to what's mostly contained in the water? Yeah, it has... Uh, it, they, they talk about pathogens and coliform bacteria oh, and E. coli. And, Lovely. Yeah, so... You know, one of the things I picked up living in the UK was drinking a lot of tea, and that's usually what I actually drink <laughs> on an airplane. But perhaps no longer. <laughs> you see, you can take the you can take the, the American out of Britain, but you can't take Britain out of the American, can you? See, I'm, I'm guessing, like. Nev, that yeah. when that when you're flying BA, you normally tend to have the bottle of Evian or some. Oh, oh yes, spill. yes, pre chilled, obviously. Of course, and, uh, absolutely. Uh, to, to accompany the caviar. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh well, and. and in those cab in those cabins that Nev sits in, there's a actually just a fresh spring right in the seat behind. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. oh. God, do you oh. know I, I had no idea that flying with BA could be such a such a marvelous thing. I'd to think to I missed that. out on the opportunity to fly with BA this week. I mean, honestly, it's disaster, oh, isn't it? I just yeah. have visions now of sitting on board a flight uh, with me and Nev on board on, in November right. on the way to Dubai and having a, a fresh spring fl- oh, flowing through flowing the cabin. Flowing the aircraft. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Anyway, moving on <laughs> to the next story, oh, Matt. That bombshell. We and move on to the next Moving story. on to another pretty damn exciting story right, for okay. you, Matt. And the- because this is great for anyone who's possibly hungry. Okay, so the Telegraph, uh, tele- daily te- so it's telegraph.co.uk, uh, and the headline is Plastic-Free Edible Flight Meal Trays <laughs> Designed to Reduce Airline Waste. Right. Uh, partially edible. Oh, that's that's disappointing. <laughs> partially editable. Uh, edible, uh, plastic-free in-flight meal trays have been designed to reduce airline waste and encourage businesses and travellers to address the issue. The tray, which is made from used coffee grounds, also comprises a side dish lid made of algae or banana leaf and a spork. What's a spork? It's a spoon and a fork in one. Oh, good heavens. I have one here. <laughs> oh, do you? What? You don't know what a spork is? No, no. That, that's a kind of spork. There. Yeah, that's a staple of, of American yeah. fast food is a spork. That, that's a kind of spork. Oh, it's a spoon, but, it's got but a holes fork. in it. That would be rubbish on a yoghurt. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, 
anyway, that's not the point of the story. Anyway, the trade which is making use of coffee grounds also comprises a side dish of there. Algae banana leaf and a spork, which replaces single use knives, forks, and spoons made from coconut wood. Oh, I'm a fan of that. Uh, instead of plastic containers for milk or sauces, edible pods made from soluble seaweed are included. But there's something that concerns me there the word soluble containing a fluid. That's, um, anyway, uh, design studio. Uh, uh, Priestman Good, who developed the trays, uh, said they are currently in discussions with airlines and rail companies and the dream would be to turn their concept into reality across the industry. Uh, the trays are part of a new ex exhibition at the London Design Museum titled Get On Board, Reduce, Reuse, Rethink, running until February next year. It's estimated that around 5.7 million tonnes of cabin waste, including single-use plastic, earphones and food waste, is generally on passenger flight, is, is generated on passenger flights every single year. Is that really still a thing, the um, single-use earphones? I, I, earphones? I didn't think you got earphones in flight these days. Well, some airlines, I think, still do to provide uh, headphones oh, for you, but a lot of them do take them back at the end of each flight. Oh, okay. Mm. Right. Okay. And I know Emirates um, supply them in economy, um, right. and then you just put them back in the bag, and then they, they take they them away, take them and away they get cleaned and refurbished and this then is, reused. Uh, I'm holding up uh, Finnair's offering here, Oh, uh, th their idea of uh, noise-cancelling headphones that they supply. Oh, this will be great, you know, nice nice pair of Bose or Sony Sign ones. But, right. uh, uh, yeah. No, uh, but um, yes, yeah, so these, these are sort of sealed in a little, little bag. Okay, I, did you use them just out of curiosity? No. Okay. Um, I'd just be intrigued to go because I mean the last time that I, you just took them, fair enough. Uh, I mean the last time I, I was on a flight that that gave you free headphones if you like to do it, and the sound was so awful, I ended up just not listening. I, I couldn't bear it. They were mm. so tinny. I was well, just the, these ones have got the. Um, this is what I don't understand. You know they've got two mono jacks. Yes. So they've they've uh, and, and yep. they've, this is what they they've got. Why don't they have a stereo jack, a single pole thing? that um, every other set of headphones has. Well, I, I, I do know. Now, I, I can sort of answer that the question of that because I know originally it was something that, that the airline used to make money out of, wasn't it? It was just, it was just, it was just, but it was just, just to discourage you from taking the headphones and nicking them when you left the, oh, because yes. that was the whole reason for having the, because that's why it's so different to anything else that you've ever mm. had, was literally to stop you from nicking them. Um, but obviously nowadays they're sort of tending to go the other way, aren't they? Where they are actually putting in a three and a half, uh, three and a half inch uh, jack in, just because it's. Um, I'm pretty sure. Not I think three and a half. What is it? Three point five. Oh, three point five. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there is there is an airline. Never probably know. I'm sure it's one of the. It might be in BA First or Emirates or one of the big players that in business or first class they do supply you. I think it was is Bose headphones. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, good heavens. Yeah. Wow, which is nice. That sounds um. But edible delightful. food trays. Yes, I I look forward to this. Uh, I don't think you're going to be. A, I, I I don't think it'll ever be edible per se. But I I do like the idea of it being from organic matter. And I know from many year, many many years ago now, uh, when we used to do the Cambridge Folk Festival, because as this, many of you know that Mum was a uh, you know big in the world of catering, and uh, we used to do the Cambridge Folk Festival each year, and we used to do like bangers and mash and pie and mash with you know red wine and onion gravy or parsley liquor or whatever depending on your thing. 
doing. And I know, uh, I have to say, Cambridge City Council was very much ahead of the curve when it comes to because the Cambridge Folk Festival is actually run and operated by uh, the Cambridge uh, City Council. And uh, one of their conditions of you being permitted to sell food on one of their sites was that everything that you had was in biodegradable but it wasn't biodegradable it had to be like this you know recycled so you know there were lots of conditions and and, and i'm going back sort of 10 years um you know so it, it probably is about time that the airlines and everything sort of did catch on but then i, I suppose i suppose i mean we have got a bit of a throwaway culture now haven't we i mean oh, when yeah. you think coffee cups uh i didn't realize until recently but the vast majority of the contents of the coffee cup is unrecyclable mm. you can't recycle it um and i presume because of what some of these trays and stuff were made up that, that that was the same too is that they weren't uh you know recyclable of course in first class it's not an issue because it's actually crockery that they bring you isn't oh, it oh yes and then they they wash it up and and, and reuse it presumably but uh, i mean i guess that would just be ridiculous <laughs> to to have crockery in in economies you know? oh dear uh, i do love our chat room Uh-oh. every week the chat rooms are just Provides us with so much love. Okay. And uh, Neil Lanwarn has uh, just said that maybe they should make the aircraft out of soluble seaweed as well. When it comes to the disposal time, just flush it down the toilet. Yeah, cut out, cut out the middleman. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah that's, oh, that's, that's true. Good. I mean, or you could just land it in the sea mm. and let it sort of. No? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, imagine the miracle on the Hudson in that, you know, with uh, a seaweed based plane. It'll I mean, I don't think it'd have been quite such a, no. such a successful no. um, incident. Um, Anyway, anyway. (laughs) moving on to the next story. Uh, Nev, um, I picked this one for you because obviously you have flown on this aircraft and uh, it'll be interesting to see what your take is on this story. Yeah, this is on the demarge.com website. I do beg you about... (laughs) <laughs> yes, D hyphen, uh, sorry, D apostrophe Marge, oh. M-A-R-G-E. Well, there we go. New one on me. Um, <laughs> this is about the BA-320 uh, Neo, uh, Neo aircraft. Um, and there's just been some uh, information about this aircraft, which it says might make you feel even more uncomfortable. Oh. Um, as The Sun reported on Tuesday, a new report has found, due to the addition of more seats on the Airbus a320 neo the, the aircraft could be too heavy at the back with passengers uh, the problem affects both ba and lufthansa who have both purchased the refitted uh, a321 neos in recent years leaving the two carriers no choice but to make the back two rows of these jets unavailable for purchase uh, as travel website head for points revealed on monday ba and lufthansa had managed to keep this information quiet for about two months after concerns were raised in a July uh, EASA report. Uh, The report detailed how the toilet was removed from the back of these uh, jets to fit in an additional row of seats uh, and replaced with micro toilets built into the back wall of the galley, as well as how the seats behind the emergency exit door were replaced with no recline ultra thin Recaro seats. Uh, to allow a second additional row of seats to be fitted in. Unfortunately for the space and money maximising ambitions of the aircraft designers, not only have duty-free sales dropped because there is now no space in the galley for the trolley, but computer testing has revealed that this centre of gravity shift could be a problem in the case of an aborted landing where the nose of the aircraft needs to be raised quickly, I think. 
go around is what you would call it, not an yeah. aborted landing. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, it says, to summarize a major engineering problem in one line, this has caused a problem. There's now too much weight at the very back of the aircraft. So whilst the uh, EAS document stated this floor was never encountered during operations, it was still deemed unsafe, resulting in the forced reduction of seat sales. Head for points reports. Uh, whilst there were almost 50 airlines flying the A320neo when this issue was identified, the presence of Club Europe caused an additional problem for BA compared to one-class airlines flying the same aircraft. Because in Club Europe, the empty middle seat makes it difficult to move weight to the front of the aircraft. Uh, in order to address this, it appears that BA is often, to, often having to block the last one or two rows of the aircraft. This is dependent on the number of rows in Club Europe, and other factors such as cargo and baggage loading. As well as not allowing passengers to select seats in, the, um, in those rows, uh, cabin crew will also announce that passengers may not move to them after takeoff. Uh, Head for Points also reports that Lufthansa has had this problem as well on its densified A320neo aircraft, although in their case it only applies to one row as their business section is smaller than BA's. Uh, in response to this uh, now public issue, a BA spokesperson told The Sun, like all airlines around the world, we work closely with regulators to ensure the safety of our fleet and fully comply with all recommendations. Lufthansa likewise confirmed in a statement, Lufthansa will block the last row of seats on all of its uh, 20 A320neo aircraft as of uh, 12th of September, row 32, will therefore no longer be assigned passengers, not even to staff traveling with ID tickets. So even though sitting at the back of the plane, you may get better service, the theory being flight attendants are more likely to slip you extra food on the sly. Uh, as mm. the rest of the cabin can't see. That's never happened to me yet. <laughs> uh, if you're travelling around Europe uh, on an A320neo, you'll have to give this strategy a miss for now. I wonder if it's... Um, I wonder if that affects the A321neo as well, or just the A320neo. I'll have to do a bit of research on that. But obviously, it's probably because they, they can't trim the aircraft f as far forward as they would like to. Uh, right. So that's perhaps what the... Uh, what the thought is there so forgive my it's, it's, i mean this this is where uh, me not really knowing anything about aviation becomes a bit of a hand things so, over to armando now so well no no <laughs> the, the, the question i've got so so how does this differ to this whole max nightmare oh it's it's quite different in the sense that uh, in the case of the max the problem was that the uh, there was a deliberate uh, down a almost a, not a continuous down movement but a regular down movement of the horizontal stabilizer if they thought if the aircraft thought that it was getting close to a stall right um, in in this situation here because all airbus aircraft have sort of auto trim right. mechanisms yeah um it i would imagine that it's probably right on the limit or slightly beyond the limit of of the trim capability of the aircraft uh, if it was to do a go around uh, from a low altitude, so you've got quite a high pitch up of the aircraft, perhaps. So it sounds though it's all about the, the, the center of gravity. So uh, if there's been a shift too far rearwards, uh, it might make the plane difficult to control, possibly. Right. Mm. Okay. Perhaps Airbus need to, um, um, you know, redesign the 320 Neo Nev and, uh, and, and make it as a tail wheel, tail dragger. <laughs> there is that yes <laughs> thought about that yes. I, I mean that, that's a solution it's just an idea <clears throat> okay yeah. yes it would work wouldn't it Armando 
Uh, sure. Yes, you could do everything once. <laughs> um, right. Now, okay. this, uh, it, this is just an example of the left hand not talking to the right hand. So the, the aircraft engineers not talking to the interior designers and probably two different departments came up with this idea and uh and yeah and when when forced into practicality it, it's not going to work there uh there are positive and negative effects of having a aft cg um but one of the uh the the biggest negatives of having an aft cg in any aircraft is it uh it's poor spin and and stall recoveries so um you you may go faster but uh it, you, you may not get out of a stall or something like that so wow so uh, sticking with you uh, armando for the next story and uh yeah. good news for anyone who has a spare quarter of a million dollars oh lying around right <laughs> yeah carlos this is an interesting story that you picked because as you know i don't i don't think i'm that experienced of a pilot but I've had some great opportunities, and I did get a chance a couple years ago, uh, it's probably 2013 and 2015, to fly into Spaceport America, which is in the middle of the desert in New Mexico, and see Virgin Galactic's Spaceship Two in the hangar, uh, which is what this story is about. It uh, says, uh, Infinity Pools and Floating Breakfasts are so 2018. Virgin Galactic, (laughs) the space tourism outfit helmed by British entrepreneur Sir Richard Branson, is looking to launch wealthy passengers into space every 32 hours by the year 2023. A single ticket slated to cost a staggering 250,000 US dollars is offering, uh, the offering is set to be one of the most expensive flying experiences in the world or out of this world. Uh, rival company SpaceX hasn't released its own pricing model yet, but uh, Elon Musk did state in the past that he'd like to be flying passengers to Mars for around $200,000. So uh, let's see. Virgin Galactic uh, Collective has kept things a little bit more grounded with launches taking passengers to an altitude about 100 kilometers above the Earth's surface on board the company's Spaceship 2. Those who are on the flight, we'll be able to experience genuine weightlessness for a few minutes while gazing back at Earth. Think of it as the most expensive Instagram selfie or boomerang you'll ever be able to take. I had to look up what boomerang was. What? Um, <laughs> now now I'm know. shocked. Kids these days. What are you yeah. I know what a spork is, though. Oh, I wonder if they'll have all sp- right. sporks. <laughs> Will they have sporks in space? Sporks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh. Uh, let's see. Uh, before all this happens, though, Virgin intends to launch 16 flights the, over the course of 2020 as a beta test for flight operations before they ramp up over the next four years. This will require that Virgin Galactic build five Spaceship Two carriers in order to meet its expected tourism targets. Given that all seats are filled on the space flights, Virgin Galactic should see a total of 3,242 people flying into space between the years 2020 and 2023. Uh, Meanwhile, Branson's company hasn't played down its target market for this experience. According to filings, Virgin Galactic is eyeing off customers with at least US $10 million in the bank, as it believes this demographic is somehow set to grow in the coming years. Uh, The article goes on. There's a great video of uh, Spaceport America actually sat in those chairs in, in the hangar 
it's pretty cool that uh, if you look at it from space, from space, <laughs> pun intended, uh, go to Google Earth for all of us that can't afford the $250,000. <laughs> yeah. uh, look down on space, uh, Spaceport America and you'll see it's pretty cool looking. I, I got to land a Cessna 172 and uh, it's like a 15,000 foot runway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. I could land on one of the center stripes. <laughs> you didn't have to go around then. I could I could have gone around or taken <laughs> off and landed about, I don't know, 15 times actually. Without running out of <laughs> runway, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, perhaps you could have done your own skippy impression as you bounced your way down there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Could have yeah. done that. So the next story is on uh, Nev's favorite font, uh, well, uh, newsfeed. It's on Flight Global, and uh, the uh, story is all about uh, a Transavia, a 737-800, that attempted to depart from a taxiway at Amsterdam Schiphol Airport before tower controllers intervened and ordered the jet to abort. So the aircraft had been operating flight HV1041 on the 6th of September this year. It was travelling along taxiway C which runs parallel to runway 18C with taxiway D also parallel running between them. During the taxi, the crew was instructed to line up on 18C, or 18 Charlie, and granted takeoff clearance. After clear, uh, receiving the clearance at about uh, 5 past 6 in the morning, the crew responded by asking, may we take Whiskey 2? This referring to the Whiskey 2 taxiway, which connects taxiway D to a northern intersection of the runway, but which is not connected to taxiway C. This might suggest the pilots believe they were on taxiway D adjacent to the runway rather than one taxiway removed. Dutch safety board investigators state the crew turned onto taxiway D heading in a southerly direction and commenced the takeoff roll. Stop immediately, stop immediately. Hold position, ordered the tower controller before adding Transavia 1041, you are stopping. The controller then informed the crew that they had been departing from a taxiway, subsequently asking, oh. with the brakes and everything, do you need the fire brigade or something? Oh. Air to ground communications were archived by liveatc.net, brilliant site that one, and uh, no emergency services attendance was requested by the crew, and Dutch Safety Board says the aircraft taxi back to the beginning of runway 18 Charlie and carried out an uneventful departure. Ooh. That could have been slightly that, that, more yeah. worse than it actually was. Departing sound. from a taxiway. Now, I mean, I know at that time in the morning it's probably... Oh, it's light. It's light, though. Yeah. The, uh, you know, there, there would be plenty of visibility if the weather was okay. I mean, there was plenty of light at that time in the morning, especially in this, this September. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, surprising that they made this mistake, especially with uh, a lot of the uh, flight decks having electronic flight bags which have the airport diagram maps on and also I think uh, Armando most uh, commercial airliners do have a, a kind of ground um, you know a GPS ground map system on board uh, some do some don't some of the newer ones have uh, airport diagrams loaded into the uh, flight management system I'm not sure if Transavia does or not but I'm looking at the Amsterdam airport diagram and it looks to be about, I don't know, 1,800 feet between each of the taxiways on uh, on 18 Charlie. So, uh, it, yeah, they, it's probably a little bit of a loss of situational awareness on behalf of the crew mm. now. That is, it's not uncommon to take off from a taxiway. 
So the, especially in the commercial airline world, they'll have pre, uh, sort of uh, pre-calculated performance calculations to take off from different parts of each runway. So if you go to a you know, big airport like Amsterdam or London or, or uh, Chicago, that you are able to take, if ATC offers you an intersection departure, they just flip to that data wherever it is, whether it's on an iPad or a piece of paper, and, and they can say, oh, whiskey two, uh, the other 7,000 feet remaining, we've got the balance field length for it, yes, we can take it. Um, but again, I don't know if Transavia has that kind of uh, program set up. So um, mm. once again, that that's number two. So good job for ATC for yeah. preventing a, a yeah. mishap. An so. incident, essentially. A busy airport as well, Schiphol, very busy yeah. airport. I feel after this episode, I'm going to go to my local ATC tower and just order them a pizza or something. <laughs> And I'm sure they'd be very grateful, my friend. They'd be very grateful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, just before we move on to the next story, uh, yes. I just want to say that there's been a lovely little comment put in the chat room, which oh. I feel I want to sort of read out. So this is uh, from Jan Hoovner, who said, uh, Fireplace in first use this season, a G&T, Family Away, and PT UK on the big screen. Thanks for the best Friday night in months. Oh, thanks, Jan. I mean, that's a very, very nice thing to nice say, isn't it? Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a part of me feels sorry for him in the fact that you know that's his idea of you know, of a perfect uh, Friday night. I'm, perhaps you should I'm get sorry. some marshmallows in. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like we need to go there immediately and take him out for a beer. I, I, yeah. I feel really bad. Come and see us, Jan. Come and see us, yeah, Jan. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, come visit. Come yeah. visit. Yeah. So, Matt, the, okay, next, yes. uh, the next story uh, yep. I thought I'd choose for you because um, most of the words are unpronounceable. So. Oh, brilliant! Thanks. That, this this will end well then. Okay, so this is on the CNN. Good, good luck, everyone. Uh, this is on the CNN website, uh, cnn.com, and the headline is Beijing Daxin Airport, International Airport, China's new mega airport is ready to open. I already hate you. Uh, China is poised to open a new mega airport uh, to the south of Beijing, already home to the world's second busiest aviation hub ahead of the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic. Beijing, Beijing Daxing and International Airport uh, will see its first commercial flight take off around September 20th, according to Chinese state That's media. Today. Uh, when uh, with uh, main tenant uh, China so- Southern planning to deploy an Airbus A380, the world's biggest airliner, for the maiden journey. The greatly anticipated airport ushers in a new era era for air travel to and from the Chinese capital, which has been in desperate need of a second global gateway. Uh, The existing Beijing Capital International Airport is hitting full capacity, making it nearly impossible for airlines to add flights at desirable times. In 2018, more than 100 million travellers passed through its three terminals, making it only the second... Uh, airport in the world to cross the passenger traffic milestone after Hartsfield uh, Jackson Atlanta China uh, is projected to overtake the United States as the world's biggest air market travel market by 2022 which is not that far away the multi-billion dollar Daxing uh, designed by the late architect Zara Hadid is and her Chinese partners is built for the future boasting four runways and a terminal the size of 97 soccer pitches uh, upon opening of the first phase as well as a customer service as well as customer service robots that will provide travelers <laughs> with flight updates and airport information uh, the modest initial operational target is to accommodate 72 million passengers and 2 million tons of cargo annually by 2025 the ambitious master plan calls for 
for the building of a total of seven runways and moving at least 100 million passengers and 4 million tons of cargo a year through the airport. Construction for the $11.5 billion project began in 2014. Um, uh, with more than 40,000 workers on site at its peak. The terminal bears all the hallmarks of Hadid's signature contour lines with plenty of natural light shining through its more than 8,000 distinct rooftop <laughs> windows. Nicknamed Starfish by Chinese media for its shape of five concourses connected to a main hall, Daxing aims to reduce walking for passengers, a long complaint about many new mega hubs. The airport authority has promised a distance of no more than 600 metres oh. 655 yards 650 yards uh, about 8 minutes of walking between security checkpoints and the remotest of gates which is a pretty That's amazing. amazing it I know, I mean yeah. we obviously had the story not so long back about the, the, the large airport being built at, in Turkey Yeah, um, which uh, you know, I thought was, gonna, was huge but, you know, when you look at the, the size of this, and as the story says, the picture, if Matt can put it on there, it does look remarkably like a starfish, I will say, from the, the aerial shot that they've got on the story. Uh, my, my good old Windows 10 has suddenly decided that it's going to do a random security update in the oh, middle okay. of the show. That's helpful, isn't but it? But that story does, uh, <laughs> the story does give you know, a kind of... Um, kind of top 10 of the busiest airports in 2018 okay. with obviously the, the the airport you've just been talking about being um in second place after hartsfield jackson um but the london heathrow and uh, comes in at uh, number seven out of those okay. 10 uh, with 80.1 million passengers but um what a huge airport um, and the robots numbers. yeah helping you know, robots mm, to help you through that, the, that um, doesn't alarm me in any way shape or form so what do you think uh, armando this airport may well take over uh, your Local uh, airport, local hub. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's only expected. The the Chinese aviation market is the fastest growing in the world, and uh, you know we've seen that from both aircraft orders and the number of pilots that are being trained here in the U.S., which is a great thing because uh, it, it, China doesn't have the the best history of aviation safety until just about ten years ago, where where uh, pilots started uh, training in Western countries and now it's one of the safest. So it's not surprising that they would build an airport this big. And, and uh, man, if I ever find myself in China, I can only hope that, that I go through one of these uh, cool new terminals and see, mm. see what the terminal of the future will, will look like. Very, very awesome indeed. So Nev, next story for you. And it's uh, good news for me and you, I think. It is. Yeah. Cause we're off to Dubai in November for the, Dubai Air Show, and um, this is on the simpleflying.com, uh, and it says that Dubai Airport has just begun free airside taxis to help passengers get around. Strictly speaking, they don't look like your conventional taxi, but rather they channel the golf buggy look. Oh. And they are only in <laughs> Emirates, dedicated concourse B in Terminal 3, so we can't use it anyway. Uh, but oh. it should be a handy service for people needing to get to any of the 26 gates in the Mammoth Terminal in a hurry, and Dubai Airport plans to extend the service to other concourses soon. Uh, a report in Arabian Business says that the taxis have been launched to help overcome issues passengers faced when having to get around Concourse B in a hurry. Uh, there are 15 eight-seater buggies which have been uh, fixed pick-up and set-down points. 
uh, which, are, so which are fixed pickup and set down points around the arrivals and departures level. Alternatively, you can just hail one when it passes by. Uh, but they're not the most glamorous vehicles. There's, there's no roof and not a huge amount of luggage space, but they'll do the job for most people in a hurry. Passengers wrangling young children, the elderly and the infirm, will get VIP access, but the service is available to everybody. Uh, in a statement, Dubai Airport said the introduction of Taxi DXB is in direct response to the needs of our customers. The design of DXB's concourses is very linear, which some customers told us they found hard to manage when they have to reach a gate at the opposite end, but lends itself perfectly to a closed loop buggy service. Uh, a characteristic of Dubai's Terminal 3 is that there is often a lot of walking involved in order to get anywhere. There is over 500,000 square meters of floor space, the equivalent of 94 football fields. Uh, airside, there are 26 gates and 14 remote stands with another five boarding gates for these remote stands. So it's a big building. Getting around the terminal can be particularly challenging for those passengers unfamiliar with it on tight connections or not totally airport savvy. The airside uh, taxis have been launched with the aim of making uh, using concourse B just that little bit easier. Uh, advocates of the aged and infirm will particularly welcome this service because the airport has uh, long been criticized for not accommodating their needs when being designed. Those with mobility issues will certainly benefit. Whilst most modern buildings such as Terminal 3 at Dubai have disability access plans, the best will in the world cannot overcome the sheer size of the building and the obstacles that can present to some people. Along with facilities such as easy access bathrooms, ample lifts and wide uncluttered floor spaces, the provision of airside taxi services such as now at Concourse B is a simple, practical and cost-effective way to make the airport more user-friendly to a wider range of people. So that's a good initiative. Isn't now, it? while you were reading most of that story, to be fair here, Nev, uh, sat to my right here was a gentleman who basically nodded his way through that entire uh, report. It's, it's and, and you're not exactly elderly or infirm, no. to be honest. But I, I will say, after fly, after travelling through Dubai Airport a number of times, it is a blooming big airport, and there are, there is quite a bit of walking involved, especially right. if you're uh, transiting from uh, an Emirates flight onto an Oman Air flight, which we've done a number of times. And um, yeah, oh, that's because right, you've got friends in Oman. Yeah, uh, Oman. It, haven't you? It's uh, if you're if you're coming straight off the airport or F aircraft and going out of the airport in Dubai, it's fairly quick. Mm. Um, Lots of more security checks you have to go through and have your bag scanned again. Blah blah blah. But uh, no, there is there is quite a bit of walking through the airport. That airport is huge. There's no two ways mm. about it. Dubai Airport is massive. Have you been, Nev? Uh, last time I was in Dubai was 2006. Uh, so. It has uh, got a lot bigger since then as well. Gosh, okay. I just wondered if we could hail one of those taxis for a nice, you know, load tracking shot with my camera <laughs> across the concourse. I've got to try. I've got to try. It's worth a try, so, certainly. See how we get on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They can only say no. Yeah. Or kick well, how, how, how long do you think before they turn this into the Uber of airports? <laughs> and now oh, you're going to yeah. have to pay. You can pay yeah. extra. Could happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if... You, I, 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 Dubai likely to do that? I mean, you know, I mean, if it was, Uber is if, in Dubai. If the service was offered by Ryanair, then I mean, I think it would start with a price tag. There's no two ways. I tell you where that, you yeah. need that that service. Oh, at Luton, at Stansted, at Stansted for Stansted? Ryanair's gates. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, no, you got the monorail. No, but with the walk because oh, you okay. can walk to the gate where where oh, the, okay. where the flights go from Ryanair, and it is right. a damn long walk. 
Okay. I mean, I must admit that all the flights that I've done with Ryanair of, of late have all been uh, on the monorail, and then it's not very far uh, at all. Yeah, no, I've, I've no. walked. It's, it's a long well, we have it on good authority from friends in the chat room that the Dubai airport is so big that even airside, it takes 15 minutes by bus to cross from one good uh, terminal to the other one. Yeah. Goodness me. So, um, uh, good luck, gents, is all I'm going to say to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, the yeah. last I, story. I hope, I hope, Nev, you've got your, uh, you know, your, your, your running the shoes sketches, on. I think you're going to need that for you. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, we'll see how we go. But I think as long as you're not changing flights, I think you're probably okay. Because okay. Yeah. Just, just going straight out the airport should be, uh, should be okay. Should be we'll okay. See. Where right. the limo will be waiting for us. Then. Of course. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Armando, the last story falls for you, and it is really good news for anyone who works for Airbus. It is really good news. It, uh, just recently, so about two days ago, Airbus released a statement uh, with predictions that the aviation industry will be in need of 30, 39,000 new aircraft by 2038, uh, many of which it will help supply. Uh, Airbus made its forecast at a press conference uh, entitled Cities, Airports, and Aircraft where it spoke of how air passenger and freighter fleets were set to increase by more than 100% uh, by 2038, from 23,000 aircraft to 47,680 in the next 19 years. Earlier this year, Boeing made a regional prediction for the Middle East, stating it would need another 2,900 aircraft in the next 20 years as it increases global demand, with aviation in the Middle East growing at 4.6% annually. Uh, Airbus has also predicted similar air traffic growth with 4.3% per year globally, according to this release. To manage that demand, it forecasts that as well as a new aircraft, 550,000 new pilots and 640,000 new technicians would also be required in order to help uh, to make up for a global fleet of nearly 48,000. Airbus suggested 39,000 aircraft will be needed as new. Uh, the story goes on a little bit and talks about uh, carbon footprints and Airbus trying to lead the way in that uh, area, as well as uh, some of the ex examples that we've already talked about this year from the Paris Air Show about Airbus growing quite a bit with some of its A220 orders mm. and AirAsia, uh, Air France, Lufthansa, putting in some pretty big orders for for a bunch of different Airbus aircraft. So it's a good time to just be in aviation as a whole. We say that now and then, I don't know, yeah. six months from now, it's, it's all doom and gloom and it's all going to fall apart. <laughs> I know, oh, I know, yes. No, no Airbus you. have, uh, I think Airbus have definitely um, had uh, had a good uh, 2019 so far, I think. With They've uh, certainly had a better 2019 than Boeing. Yes. <laughs> I yes, think it's that, safe to say. safe to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all relative, right? I mean, we, we're retiring A380s and... and uh, that that's a pretty big hit and it, mm. literally six months ago we were talking about oh, what is it what is the future of airbus and uh, until the max issue came mm. about and then now airbus is in a positive uh light and boeing is just struggling to keep up aren't they mm. i mean there's going to be there's definitely going to be somebody at airbus who's just, with this whole whole sh sh scenario of this disaster essentially going on for their biggest rival and there must be somebody at airbus going hmm well, mm. well. <laughs> I just noticed in, in that story as well, you know, we were talking about uh, audio connectivity uh, earlier on. Yes. Um, it says that AirAsia also uh, made a large order of 30 A321XLRs. Oh! So obviously there's, uh, those are the connectors right. they're using Good. for their... 
<laughs> good, good quality microphones. That's what yeah, we want. Yes, excellent. I mean I'm not familiar with XLR in, in the configuration of of uh, receiving audio into headphones uh, first, I suppose. Oh yes, no, use that for uh, intercom and uh, you oh, know talkback systems and that ah, sort of thing. Yeah. Oh yes, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, anyway, that's not really what the XLR no, no. stands for. Yes, <laughs> no, no. As you probably realise. I probably just uh, yes, I probably just got a little bit carried oh, away there. Oh Yes, never. Oh, mind. I love the world of tech. So that brings to a close the commercial news segment uh, for this week. And uh, coming up next, uh, just a bit of a change for this week. Uh, we've still got uh, a few more uh, interviews from Big and Hill to play out. Mm. But uh, first for a change this week, we thought we'd break things up and uh, bring you a special segment uh, that's going to be brought to you uh, from Armando. So we're going to hand things over to Armando to introduce the next segment. Okay, are we talking about Reno here? We certainly are, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I uh, alluded to it at the beginning of the show. Uh, this is one of a few interviews that I got out at Reno. James, you're going to see, is just an amazing guy. Uh, before we play it out, go to his YouTube video after you're done, watch some of his flying videos and some of his skiing videos. And uh, if you're there in the UK, uh, feel free to look him up on social media. It's James Stringer. He's the only one with a big red airplane. Uh, on his thing and uh, maybe you can meet up with him in the UK really nice guy so if you guys are ready go ahead and play it out hey guys I'm here with uh, James Stringer now I've met James a couple years ago here at the Reno Air Races and I was immediately impressed not by his airplane but by his accent but since it is a UK based podcast I figured we should interview the sole representative from the UK here in the sport class so James how are you doing today um, very good, thank you. A bit hot and sweaty now after the uh, final here today. Yeah. Uh, hard work, very bumpy, but um, good fun. Good fun. So we did just finish up the sport class final for the for the bronze, and you finished. Uh, I actually got disqualified today. Oh no! <laughs> Below flying on the last pylon, trying to catch the guy in front, dived down, and I just took it literally about two feet too low. Yeah. But that's that's racing for you. Well, they do maintain a very safe uh, flying environment out here. It is uh, very organized, and sometimes you just have those days, but you've actually had a really great week, haven't you? I most certainly have. It's been very close. Uh, I've had uh, Rick Vandam in uh, race 22 ahead of me. I don't think he's been more than 100 yards ahead of me the whole week, and I've just not quite managed to catch him, but that's great. As long as you have your own little duel with someone, yeah. you know, you've got, you've, there's got fun right there. So, uh, yeah, it's been really good. Uh, now you're racing, what, what kind of airplane is this? Uh, so I race uh, Sport 49, it's uh, an RV Super 6. So uh, it's based on an RV 6, but it, from the outset it's been built to race. Uh, instead of a four-cylinder uh, Lycoming 360, it's got a six-cylinder IO 540, uh, 540 cubic inch, which instead of uh, most RV 6s have a 160 or a 180 horse engine in, and this one is about 330 horsepower. So uh, pack, packs a lot of uh, extra punch. Uh, the wings have been shortened uh, for, for speed, so there's a higher wing loadings, much heavier aircraft, and to counter uh, balance the heavy engine at the front, uh, the rear section's been strengthened and uh, stretched. It's strengthened so that um, we, can, we have a higher VNE, so this is good for 300 miles an hour instead of the standard 200 miles an hour, and it's been tested at that. Uh, fastest I've flown, it's been about 289, I think. 
which is amazing for an, an RV, isn't it? It is, it is. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely solid. And when you get to day, days like today where it's really, really bumpy and you get some pretty high G-forces just from pockets of air, uh, you know, you really feel safe and secure in a really strong plane. Yeah. Now, it, so James mentioned it's pretty bumpy out there today. Take us sort of through a, a lap around the course and how you get on the course and, and what's it like to do a lap here at Reno? Uh, it just hurts your spine. The only thing it, it's bad for you, it hurts your smiling muscles. So um, we typically take off. So today was um, zero 08. So we line up and we taxi out together. Uh, we line up on the runway. The pace plane is the last out. Uh, we line up at 45 degrees. On We split the runway down the middle uh, to a hot side and a cold side for both takeoff and for landing. So we line up on the cold side. The pace comes past. Thumbs up. Final thumbs up. We've all done our our run-up checks, etc. He will uh, taxi past and then he'll start his takeoff run. Uh, we space off at uh, about a, a thousand feet, uh, and then once we're all airborne, he does a nice gradual climbing turn around the back of Mount Peavine. Uh, so we go up to about 2,000 foot elevation. Actually, he's a bit a bit higher than that, 2,500 foot, um, and uh, we form up in echelon. Uh, so there's eight racers plus the pace plane. Uh, so when you're on the outside of that turn, you're really pretty much fireballing it just to keep up. Once we come around the backside of Peavine, we have the course in sight and we have a straight line. It's called the chute. And our pace's job is to release us at the right angle and at the right speed so that we get an exciting start, but not one that's dangerous, where if we were coming down too steep and too fast and we had to round out at the bottom, you know, there's a potential there for, for accidents to happen. So it's all down to the pace. Once we come onto that chute, we move from echelon up to line of beam, line of breast, sorry, and uh, he will make, he'll call out some adjustments if somebody's in front or if somebody's too far back, he'll call everyone forward. We don't have to be in a dead straight line, but that's what we're aiming for. But most importantly, we've all got the same momentum. So nobody's sort of zipping on through, nobody's pulling back. Once he's happy, we're all stationary relative to each other. He'll say, gentlemen, you have a race. Uh, and that's where you just firewall it, push the stick down, and away you go. We maintain our lanes in the chute all the way around the back of the course. So we're on the our speed range. We're on the sport course, which is about seven miles long. We maintain our lanes around the back of that so that uh, we don't cut anybody up. And then once we're onto the back straight, which is the Valley of Speed, uh, then we can all close up. It's a bit like starting like an 800 meter, 1500 meter race on an athletics track. Um, then we're in, in trail and that's where the, the racing really starts. Um, coming down the Valley of Speed, that's the lowest point of the course. It's tempting to get really low there because you know you have some extra height uh, and you want to try and use that to maximise your speed. But if you drop low, you've only got to climb again on the other side of the course. So we come down the um, Valley of Speed, we come round past home pylon and then we go up to pylon 3, pylon 4, which is the highest point of the course on the Scorp. A sport course it's only about 150 feet higher than the lowest point so we don't have such a climb as we do on the outer course uh, and then around the back pylons it's all about um, keeping a nice smooth line as tight as you can but also as smooth as you can and obviously if there are other aces in front of you you have to adjust your path um, you know it all sounds quite scary um, my, my, I qualified at 253 miles an hour this year um, flying that close to the ground it sounds really scary but uh, I think your brain gets used to processing 
bushes coming flying past and um, and uh, you, you, you become more and more confident. Um, from a safety perspective, we have a minimum height of 50 feet. Um, so each pylon is at 50 feet. You really need to have your head above the pylon, including the home pylon today. And the home pylon has uh, the name Reno written on it uh, from top to bottom. And if your head is below the R, then you get, uh, you're deemed to be flying low, which is what happened to me on the very last lap trying to catch the guy in front I dived down and I just took it a bit too low today so um, uh, and from a safety perspective um, it's very it's very competitive where we we call it hostile formation flying but actually um, it's all based on a contract and you know we're a bunch of eight guys in this in this race uh, we have um, 36 races in sport class um, to qualify you have to go through uh, pylon race training school uh, and rookie school prior to that and uh, you could, the way to sum it up really is if you are safe good safe stick you're predictable you don't do anything stupid if you make mistakes which we all do that you understand what you've done wrong and where you've done wrong but if you've got a good situational awareness and you're a good stick and everyone trusts you that's the one word it's all about trust the moment you do something silly because you're desperate to try and get in front of someone then the trust goes nobody wants to fly with you and you know your history so it, it sort of polices itself in a way. Now you're talking about safety and emergency procedures, and I've, I've been through, uh, I have not been through PRS. I was here supporting the pylon racing seminar, and I watched how much training you guys have to go through, and it's incredibly organized and professional, but you had to employ some of those emergency procedures last year, didn't you? I did, yes. Uh, I, um, a very rare occurrence. Uh, we had a hawk on the course. Uh, who was feeding? He'd, he'd gone down to uh, the ground to try and catch uh, catch some prey, and uh, just decided to uh, get airborne again. Just as I was passing, um, it literally came up straight in front of me. I was at the highest point of the course, so I was just coming over a ridge, and from that the top of that ridge, I could see down to pylon four, five, and six, sorry, five and six. And I was looking left, looking at my my line through those pylons, and just getting myself in the right position. Uh, and then out the corner of my eye, I just saw something come up directly in front of me, and it was a hawk. So no time to do anything. Uh, I obviously can't go down because I'm only 50 feet off the ground. I can't turn left or right, and I certainly can't pull up on the stick, which would have yanked the wings off. So um, I sort of ducked. I just remember instinctively ducking, but looking at the stick and just saying, just hold the stick, hold the stick. I knew I was straight and level. Hold that stick, and then just... Bang. It was a, a huge, a huge bang, feathers and blood, sort of misty blood everywhere. It did actually hit me in the face, but uh, fortunately just the wing. Um, the main body came straight through the uh, canopy and made a perfect bird-shaped hole in the canopy, which I wasn't expecting because it's you know, obviously very streamlined. Um, hit the back baggage bay um, wall and uh, pushed that back three inches and punched a hole in it. So it still had a lot of momentum. Um, but from my perspective, uh, call a mayday straight away, but I, there was, it was so noisy, I couldn't hear myself talk, not even sort of through my inner ear. Um, so I, I gave up on the transmission. Um, but then scouting around, I thought, I'm not going to do anything till I check, you know, the plane's good and solid. And amazingly, the bird, big bird, had gone straight through the propeller without touching it. So very quickly, I knew that the engine, there were no vibrations. Uh, I still had full power. Um, but a huge great hole in the canopy so I pulled it up into a very gentle climb I was very aware of 
Um, the, you know, the, the difference here, I didn't want to pull up too sharp and alter the angle of attack on the, the, the hole in the windscreen um, and therefore fill the canopy up with, you know, um, air from a different direction. I didn't want to lose the whole canopy. Uh, once I established that, throttled back slowly, uh, Richmond it up and then uh, made my second call. But I was already turning towards uh, the runway that I was going to, the cross runway that I was going to go and land on. So we always have a, like a personal plan for your aeroplane. Um, you know, speeds that you do, its glide ratio, how well it climbs, and it's all about using the momentum you have down at low level uh, and transfer it, translating that into height. And then at any point on the course, which runway? We have six runways at Reno, so which runway are we going to go for? And I don't even remember thinking about it. It just it was automatic, just straight into 1-4. Um, uh, that lets the town know. They can then deploy the emergency services. So we had the fire brigade and the... Um, the fire and rescue service and the uh, an ambulance came down to that runway to meet me. They chased me along the runway, uh, and as you land, you know if you're okay, you open your canopy, put your fist in the air. That lets them know that you're okay. Um, so yeah, managed to do a textbook landing in the end, and uh, it was sort of a non-event until you taxi back in, and then you see the the look on the face of your crew and your friends. Um, most people expect a bird strike to hit a wing, but uh, this one straight through the canopy and. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it, it's all about the training uh, and putting what you've learned into practice. Uh, I'm very fortunate. My sort of makeup is when I get an emergency like that, I'm quite calm and I can I can think clearly. But that's not always the case for everybody. But I'd like to think all the races here are, you know. Yeah. Well, and you're you're experienced enough that you're also an instructor and a flight lead during the PRS in the summer too, right? Flight, flight lead this year, hopefully I'll make instructor next year, but um, it's been a real pleasure taking the guys out and leading them, leading the rookies onto the course for their very first time. It's a real, a real honor to pass that, uh, everything I've learned, pass that on to those guys. Now I've been in, in, uh, attending Reno in one way or another for about four years now, and you're very well respected in the sport class, so you have that going for you. Uh, now, you don't just race here at Reno, do you? Nope, nope. Um, my uh, Reno contacts, actually, I, I'm, I got in touch with uh, uh, a company that uh, was formed, a new company that was formed in Portugal in uh, 2014. They did their first open race in 2016. They were looking for racers in uh, um, RVs. So uh, having an RV and being a competitive sort of chap, I naturally put my name <laughs> down and uh, had the first race in Lisbon. That's the Air Race Championship. Uh, we had our first race in Lisbon in 2016, um, which was a great success. And uh, we had an RV class, we had uh, Extreme class, which was um, uh, sort of more aerobatic aircraft like uh, Extreme Airs. We had quite a few of those there. And then we have a, a vintage class, which is Yak Racers. So I took part in the uh, RV class and I've been racing there for the last three years. So yeah. it's been really good fun. Uh, I have an RV6 at home, my own, which I didn't build for racing, but it, fortunately it's um, very clean aircraft and very light, and it stood me in good stead. And I managed the second place this year in uh, Pontesor, uh, which has been my best result so far. Yeah, now, what's your home airfield in the UK? So I'm based at Gravely, which is a small uh, farm strip in the Luton zone, uh, 500 metres. I keep the plane in an old hay barn. Uh, pretty rustic stuff, but it's uh, great fun. Yeah, well, I love the couple of years that I was over in the UK flying. I fell in love with it. It's just quintessential flying over hedgerows and beautiful churches and castles and, and towns that are hundreds of years old. I loved flying in the UK. And of course, 
course, uh, and probably one of your favourite pastimes while you're flying is, is checking out all the abandoned Second World War US Air Force bases, which of course many of our airfields are based on. Um, yeah, with a lot of history there, a lot of history. Now, is that where you learned how to fly? Uh, actually, I, it all started for me in 2002. I did a heli-skiing trip, and um, I used to work as a ski instructor, and skiing's my big thing. And it probably the best day skiing in my life, um, just being shipped up sort of uh, 5,000 feet in a helicopter and then having an hour to come down and then straight back up again. Um, but I found, weirdly, I couldn't wait to get skis off and get back in the helicopter. And I thought, oh, something's up here. So uh, I, I had my first lesson at Panzanger Aerodrome a um, few weeks after I got back. I did a few lessons there, but um, I was a bit impatient with it all and the English weather. So uh, I booked a two-and-a-half-week holiday to California, and that's where I got my license. <laughs> well, that's great. I, I tell you what, I follow your YouTube channel. And some of the videos that James posts on there are amazing, both from Portugal, from here, and from your skiing. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, uh, and you guys will be able to go over to his channel and check that out. Now, before I thank you for your time, we always end with one question. If money was no object, what aircraft would you fly in the world? Pa uh, past, present, future? Ooh, that's got to be, it'll be a toss up between a Spitfire, it's got to be a Spitfire, um, but of course being a racer, I would say a Hawker Sea Fury. Right. You may get that opportunity here in a know. few years. You never know. Keep doing things right, you never know. Yeah. We'll see. James, thank you so much for your time. Thank it's been a pleasure not just talking to you, but watching you race all weekend. Great. Thank you. How cool was that? That was brilliant. Yeah. Armando, big round of applause. Yeah. How good was that? Yeah. Definitely. What a, what a stand-up guy, James Stringer, and, and his crew chief, Martin, was great, and man, those guys put in some hours to make sure that airplane is safe and ready, and uh, he, had a, he had a great crew, and, and everybody loves James in the pits. It's probably the accent, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's a good start in America, certainly. All you need is a British accent. You can get away with lots of things, really. But, uh, yeah, no, really that good. That was brilliant, Armando. Yeah, no, thanks yeah, very well much done. For, for sharing that very with much us. Well it's, done. Uh, it's very good. Now, I notice um, you, you've put the link in the chat room um, to that. I'll make sure yeah, that so that's that included in the show notes, obviously, um, when, we, when, we, uh, when we publish this. Mm. Yeah, perfect. And, and uh, I think, uh, let's see, who was it? Uh, Richard Adams in the chat room was asking if there's GoPro. Yes, this year was the first year that they have live streaming. So if you just go oh. to airrace.org or if you look up uh, the Reno Air Race Association on YouTube, they have their eight hours long So because they, they live streamed the entire day from, I believe, Thursday through the final races on Sunday. So all of the qualifying and the heats and the, and the semifinals and the final races. So if you have nothing else to do, you can yeah. watch probably – 50 hours of air racing with all of the classes on uh, on youtube just look for the reno air race yeah, to be fair to be fair jan forget watching this drivel what you need to do is take yourself off to youtube <laughs> and you need to go and watch uh, yeah. watch those that'll that'll uh, be a perfect way to finish your friday night off before the family return i think really now yeah. i understand on monday you've got a, a few more uh, for us to look forward to yeah, that's right. So we're uh, going to hear the second and third parts of George Catalano's in interview, which he mm. kind of talks about how Reno, how he got to Reno and what it's like from his point of view. Um, now, he races a little bit faster airplane than James's, 
And then uh, we also have another interview from uh, Olivier Langard, who flies a Sakata TB30 in the sport class. That's a pretty unique airplane here in the U.S. It's not certified. It is certified in Europe. But here in the U.S., it's uh, an experimental exhibition aircraft, which is why it's allowed to race in the sport class. And uh, he's uh, originally from France, lives here in the U.S., and uh, just another great guy, stand-up fella, and all these guys know each other. So it's pretty pretty neat. Fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, the chat room, uh, very much appreciated that interview, uh, Armando, it's safe to say. And I'm, uh, I hope everyone who's listening to the audio uh, version of the podcast enjoys that as well. Mm. And don't forget, uh, for those of you who do listen to the audio version of the show, take yourselves over to YouTube if you want to watch the, uh, the video on there. Uh, which then uh, gets published on, I think it's Sunday. The, uh, it's the Sunday YouTube. at 10 a.m. Yeah. it usually gets, gets published. published. Yeah. And you can watch the video there, which we've just played out uh, with Armando. So yeah. awesome. So sticking with Armando, we, uh, we've got some military news. So Armando, I'll hand things over to you. <laughs> yeah, if you guys are willing to plug away for another uh, 15 minutes on some stories, everybody's favorite, the military news. Let's just Woo-hoo! get through them. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's great stuff time. Let's go. <laughs> So this first story is from popularmechanics.com and the U.S. Air Force has officially designated the service's new jet trainer, the T-7A Red Hawk. The name celebrates the pilots of the 332nd Fighter Group of World War II, uh, manned by African-American pilots in a segregated U.S. military. The 332nd flew fighter planes with a distinctive red painted tail for identification purposes. The jet is also named in honor of the Curtis P-40 Warhawk fighter flown by the African-American 99th Fighter Squadron. The jet will replace the T-38 Talon in Air Force service. Uh, The aircraft was named at a special event held at the Air, Space, and Cyber Conference. Acting Secretary of the Air Force Matthew Donovan told the audience that the trainer set to enter service in 2023 will better train future fighter pilots for flying fifth-generation fighters such as the F-22 and the F-35 than the 1960s era's uh, T-38 Talon. The T-7A will fly with its red painted tails. It is a staple of new generation aircraft. The Red Hawk offers advanced capabilities for training tomorrow's pilots on data links, simulated radar, smart weapons, defensive management systems, as well as synthetic training capabilities. The jet commemorates the famous Tuskegee Airmen, African-American men who in 1940 came from across the country to participate in aircrew, maintainer, and air traffic control training at Tuskegee Army Airfield in Alabama. At the time, the U.S. military was a segregated organization with uh, the Tuskegee gradu- with Tuskegee graduating uh, all four all-black fighter squadrons, the 99th, the 100th, the 301st, 302nd uh, fighter squadrons, all under the 332nd Fighter Group. The Tuskegee Airmen painted the tails of their they weren't jets. This says jets. They weren't jets. Uh, red for identification purposes, earning them the nickname the Red Tails. Um, yeah, the article goes on a little bit, uh, but this is a wonderful way to commemorate the Tuskegee Airmen, which there are not many left surviving. So mm. uh, 
if you go to Oshkosh, you go to Sun and Fun, some of the big air shows, you may get a chance to see some of these uh, extraordinary gentlemen uh, talking about their experience as a Tuskegee Airman. But uh, I, I am sorry. I'm very much looking forward to seeing the uh, these air, these training aircraft with yeah. with its red tails. I bet, and of course, that is the harsh reality, isn't it? These things. I mean, the, you know, these these guys are you know have been around a long time, and it is always so sad. You, you do literally feel like you you lose part of history, don't you? When when you know people move pass away, it's it, it, it's really painful. I mean, I, I suppose we're so lucky, really, nowadays, especially here in the UK. I think actually we're very good about making sure that we document mm. and record and get interviews with the these amazing amazing people you know yeah there's also there's a couple I, of films been done on these as well um, there was uh, one in 1995 the Tuskegee Airmen uh, that was a film uh, that was released uh, back then there's also one in 2012 bit bit uh, more recent uh, called Red Tails which also uh, focused on on these airmen as well mm. yeah the uh, I'll agree with you Matt I having been a foreigner living over in the uk i think you guys do a fantastic job of remembering uh especially world war one world war two mm. you're i mean look at this painting right right behind me is a uh, is a b-17 over the the poppy fields of east anglia yeah and uh it's one of my favorite painting and 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 you guys do just a, a great great job of the entire com country coming together on mm. not just remembrance day but uh several events throughout the year to, yeah. to commemorate those those individuals yeah. needs to be done very important indeed so the next story on flight globals website and uh, this one is all about the Sikorsky and uh, the Sikorsky expects the US Air Force to make a milestone C decision for its combat rescue helicopter CRH on the 24th of September that's uh, only a few days away Paving the way for a low-rate initial production contract worth more than $500 million for 10 aircraft to be signed shortly thereafter. The first production helicopter is scheduled for delivery in April uh, 2021, says Sikorsky. A total program of record uh, for the CRH is 113 aircraft. Those helicopters are to replace the aging HH-60G Pavehawks, which have been flown far past their expected shelf lives of service after in uh, having service in Afghanistan and Iraq. The Lockheed Martin unit also expects the USAF to give its HH-60W helicopter a formal name in October. In total, Sikorsky says it has put 135 hours of flight time on five pre-production HH-60Ws since the first type took flight in May. Those helicopters are part of the company's $1.2 billion design and development contract with the US Air Force to build 10 HH-60Ws five as engineering, manufacturing and development examples, and five as system uh, demonstration test articles examples. Uh, these aircraft will later be brought to production standards and added to the 113 helicopter fleet. The CRH is based on the HH-60M Blackhawk, though it has improved performance 
For instance, the helicopter has additional armour, a uh, very important indeed, and 195 nautical miles or 361 kilometres combat radius, thanks to an internal fuel tank that's double the uh, baseline size. As Sikorsky readies for a production contract from the US Air Force, the company also uh, is hoping to sell the CRH overseas. The US Air Force has said that six countries are eyeing the helicopter, but thus far only one disclosed, uh, one prospective buyer to, uh, to the United Arab Emirates. Sikorsky declines to comment on potential foreign military sales of the helicopter. I'm surprised, Armando, we haven't snapped any of these up yet for ourselves over uh, here in yeah, the UK. Yeah, you know, although they did, they did say that uh, the countries are undisclosed, so maybe, mm. maybe the UK is... Uh, maybe maybe we have. <laughs> but uh, the Pavehawks, I thought, I mean, the Pavehawks, I think, have done very well. I mean, they are, they are um, similar to those up close at an air show. Very well put together and uh, built to last helicopters indeed. I think that's exactly why you're seeing the uh, Sikorsky CRH be based on the Pavehawk. So the um, while they look very similar, the the CRH has increased fuel capability, has a little bit bigger cabin. Um, the crew is two pilots, two gunners, two paramedics, two litters, um, and then you can mount a 50 cal or 50 caliber machine guns or 7.62 machine guns on the side. So it's a very very capable airplane based on the UH-60 or the HH-60. There must be a lot of weight with these Armando, being with the you know the uprated um, you know armor you know the actual uh, armor, and also like you said the weaponry on board. Well, that that's uh, one of the, I guess uh, the goals of rejuvenating an airplane an airframe like this. So with the W version. You're probably going to see a lot more composite construction, carbon fiber, mm. um, non-structural parts, maybe even structural parts. So you can save a lot of weight on the skin of the aircraft and some of its internal components, internal components by using uh, composites as opposed to you know traditional metal uh, construction. So uh, that's probably where they're going to get some of the increased payload is through uh, modern construction manufacturing techniques. Mm. So Nev. The next story is for you with uh, some rather interesting air-to-air -air fun. Yes, it's on the thedrive.com, which I thought was the, a website about the parking space in front of my house, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> entirely different. Um, and it says that the uh, Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, has chosen defence contractor Dynetics, along with the rest of its team, to proceed to the third phase of its Gremlins drone swarm program. Uh, in its own announcement, the company revealed that a video uh, at the war zone previously reported on that actually showed a special docking system that a C-130 Hercules aircraft will tow behind it so that the unmanned aircraft can latch on for a mid-air recovery, not one of the vehicles themselves. Uh, the Pentagon uh, quietly slipped news of the contract award with a total value of more than $32 million into a daily contracting notice on April the 17th, 2018. Uh, the release says that the work, which will include flight tests of the complete system, including the Gremlins drones, and the aircraft mounted launch and recovery systems should be completed by January, 2020. 
Ground and limited flight tests will begin in 2018, according to a press release, Dynetics issued on April the 18th uh, of last year. Uh, DARPA launched the first phase of the project, which involves four different industry teams in 2015, and the second phase is start, has started in uh, 2017. Uh, whilst Dynetics is responsible for the overall design of the unmanned vehicles, Williams International is supplying the small turbofan for each one. Moog is building the control actuation systems and the Sierra Nevada Corporation is designing the drone's precision navigation system as well as what the company's own press release calls multi-vehicle control services. Uh, it's worth noting that Williams has a long history of building small high efficiency jet engines for cruise missile such as the Tomahawk land attack missile and the AGM-86 air-launched cruise missile as well as various X-planes, including Lockheed's Martin Secretive X-44A. Uh, Airborne Systems is also producing a parachute recovery system for the drones. Uh, Kratos, one of the previous uh, Gremlins competitors, has now joined Dynetics and will be responsible for putting together complete drones. Applied Systems Engineering, uh, uh, Inc., is uh, building the flight computer that will tie everything together. Uh, the unmanned air vehicles utilized in these future operations will carry a variety of different sensors and other payloads working together to manage and conduct complex, uh, highly adaptive operations in contested environments. Tim Keeter, Dynetics Gremlins, uh, Deputy Program Manager and Chief Engineer said in the company's press release. When they complete their mission, they return to airborne manned platforms to be recovered to a forward operating base where they can be quickly refurbished and put back into flight. The potential to overwhelm an adversary continuously with multiple volleys is tremendous. Uh, Keita's description uh, gets the core of DARPA's plans for the project. From the very beginning, the, the goal has been to develop a complete drone swarm system wherein uh, C-130 type aircraft and maybe even eventually fighter jets and bombers launch the vehicles at standoff distances away from enemy defences. Uh, so that's uh, quite a good example of um, a, some new technology, but it takes you know, three or four mm. uh, companies to, to realise. To sort of these, make it uh, happen, essentially. Not, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's amazing how they, they're going to put this together, you know, doing kind of this in-flight stuff with drones and and such as the you know the c-130 or whatever collecting these from the skies that's got to be mm. some sort of, some definite pre precision mm. uh flying from both uh aircraft on this particular mm. i mean i suppose the the, the unmanned uh drone I, I i suppose is is perhaps easier you can use gps yeah. but of course yeah. you can't really you you can't really do such a thing on uh with with the actual um you know the a400m that's essentially going to sort of top it up or, or grab it out of, out of the air i mean yeah, it's that, that probably yeah if we uh, adopt this in the uk i suppose we'd, we'd probably use the 400m to do this well i'm gonna i'm gonna beat micah in the chat room to Ooh. this, um, <laughs> which is a, a rare occurrence. But uh, so midair retrieval of aircraft is not new. It's been around since the 50s. Okay. Um, and ah, see, I beat him to it. Look at that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I think back in the, in the 60s, uh, C-130s actually were already being used to recover uh, different uh, satellites and things coming from space as well as uh, there's been efforts to 
catch parachutes in in flight and other aircraft and i think there's been some some missile tests where they can catch missiles mid-flight for for research and all kinds of stuff but i think what's what's new about this is the technology for the drone itself to sort of hone in on its recovery hook or whatever it is that they're gonna mm. they're gonna to use yeah uh micah in the chat room is, is talking about the uh Recovering people from the ground. I, I actually got a chance to fly in one of those airplanes with the Fulton recovery system. And it, it was this crazy contraption. It's basically just scissors on the front of a C-130. Oh, wow. And a survivor, yeah, a survivor would just sit on the ground, blow up a balloon. The balloon would go up into the sky. And then the C-130 would zoom at low level and catch it in the scissors. The problem with the whole project was what happens next is an incredibly violent uh, lifting of the person from the ground into the air, you know, Gosh, yeah. it's an airplane doing 140 miles per hour. So I think a couple of people brought Oof. their, broke their backs and broke their necks. Yuck. And they oh. said, ah, yeah. it's a great idea, but uh, let's stop putting it into it. It's going to smart a tad, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to the next story. Yeah, I love this story. Yeah, this I mean, this is, is the perfect and finally, awesome. really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is the Army Times, uh, is the website, armytimes.com. And the headline, at 98, D-Day veterans jump again what age, with Matt? eyes on the big 100, so they're currently 98. 98. Yeah, and I'm, what, 43 and no chance. Okay. Um, but uh, there we go. So this is in the Netherlands. Jump by jump, 98-year-old D-Day veteran Tom Rice is nudging closer to his goal of leaping out of planes at age 100. Uh, the American, who caused a sensation in June by parachuting into Normandy for the 75th anniversary of the 1944 D-Day landings, was at it again on Thursday. This time, his landing zone was in the Netherlands. Woo! That was a nice fall, he yelped as his chute opened. Uh, strapped to a younger parachutist who steered their canopy, uh, Rice jumped as part of commemoration, commemorations for the massive landings of airborne, airborne Allied troops in September 1944. He described the jump as perfect and said, I'm going to do it until I'm 100. Uh, Rice jumped with the US Army's 101st Airborne Division in World War II. Uh, hundreds of other parachutists also soared over the Netherlands on Thursday to commemorate the 75th anniversary of Operation Market Garden, a 1944 land and airborne thrust through the country. Allied strategists hoped the uh, assault would clear a path towards Nazi Germany's industrial heartland and hasten the end of the war, but ground troops who uh, got bogged down, leaving airborne soldiers who'd jumped ahead of the thrust outnumbered and outgunned. Uh, the military bungle was immortalised in the Hollywood film and Cornelius Ryan's book, A Bridge Too Far. More Allied troops, around 11,500, died in the nine days of Operation market garden uh than in the d-day landings uh it's uh an incredible story i'll just see if i could as i say there's some fantastic photos here which i shall try and 90 pop out, up I mean, for you. you know i mean I, I i for one certainly hope that he does make his dream so do i of making the hundred and he certainly seems sprightly and fit there doesn't he i mean i, don't, I can't see any reason why he wouldn't make it to 100 we need to know his his is blooming secret yeah, yeah. For, for staying that kind well, of, yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, uh, apparently an army career at some point uh, yeah, yeah sort of you and I are screwed yeah. Armando's going to live till he's a thousand but uh, you know <laughs> but no. still won't be jumping out of airplanes yeah really have you not have you not uh, done it no Armando's done uh, it no I've done it I've done it twice right and okay. Megan Megan wants me to go 
next time she jumps, she wants me to jump out with her. But okay. it'll depend of if I'm on the roster to fly the airplane or not. Otherwise, it's going to be expensive. Um, yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. and probably not recommended. Certainly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Say, Doctor Steph does it on a daily basis. I think she, uh, well, yeah, there is that. Of... Although, again, not not so much on the commercial airlines. Uh, she tends no, to sort of wait no, till it lands, no. really. Yeah, you know. But there we are. It is what it is. Isn't that nice, Nev? Though, huh? Ninety-eight. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, really, really good story. And uh, yes, he's uh, a very enthusiastic gentleman, isn't he? He certainly is. As I say, he's putting the rest of us to shame, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, good on him. I hope he does get to the 100 mark. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Could jump out. Yes. Indeed. So that's where we bring the military segment to a close for this week. Hope you all enjoyed those stories. And indeed the show. Yes, that's where we're going to start to wrap up this week's show. Don't forget, uh, we'll be back next week with Probably a just another... because well, my laptop's just crashed again. With, so. another, with, a, with another instalment uh, from Big and Hill next week. I think Matt, so we'll leave it up to Matt to choose which interview oh. we play out next week. Oh, the agony of choice. I know, we'll leave it up to oh. you. And I'm sure uh, Armando will probably have another great segment from Reno as well to come up next Ooh. week. So don't forget you can uh, catch us on the interweb, all the w's.plaintalkinguk.com. If you click on the website, you can also click on the link to take it to the store and grab yourself one of our P2K t-shirts, uh, which we've, ah. uh, we've had uh, some uh, good uh, reviews on. So yes, thanks for that. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, grab yourself a t-shirt, click on the links, and uh, they get sent off by me. I, I, I go to yes, the post office indeed. and send them off straight yes, away. Absolutely. So uh, it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com is the email address. And uh, as Carlos said, it's the website www.plaintalkinguk.com. Nev, uh, what are you up to this week? Anything exciting? Um, let me think. Uh, not quite so much travelling, I don't think, but uh, a lot of London activity. Um, and then the week after, I'm off to Antwerp to one of our offices over there. So I'll be going from London City to um, Antwerp in a Fokker 50. Oh, pardon. I beg your pardon. Family yes, show. I know. <laughs> I haven't been on one of those for a while. No. Uh, so, yes, that's the week after next, though. So, uh, Fair, yep, should, should be a good week. Are, are we going to uh, get an NPE segment from the. Uh... <laughs> well, if, if you can hear me above right. the, the very noisy turboprop aircraft that is. So, well, you never uh, know. That, that you'll have I'll, to see, see I'll see what I can do. That's the. Um, they've just started this service uh, from Air Antwerp, actually. So, okay. Uh, uh, I think it, uh, VLM used to run that service back in the day. But, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, I'll, I'll see how we get on. See if I, I look forward to a thorough update. You'll have to take your noise-cancelling Finnair headphones, oh, Nev. Right. Every, yeah. <laughs> that'll help, this. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, that'll help. Perhaps if yeah. you stuff the plastic in your ear, that would... Yeah. Um, That's an idea, yes. I'll yeah. try that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. I hope you have... Uh, uh, a good flight, anyway, Nev, Thank you. and enjoy yourself. Uh, Carlos, what are you up to? Oh, oh this week, uh, oh, we um, Monday, I shall be interviewing yet more people okay. uh, for a job. Yeah. Uh, this is weird, me being on the other end, I'm yeah. interviewing people. Uh, very strange. A small part um, of me is disturbed by that. I know. I should stress. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, next week, me and my boss will be uh, off on a jolly for uh, three days. We're going off to do a an exhibition at a military base in the UK. As one does. Which will be interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, looking forward to that. So you've got a busy week then. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, I'm off to, um, I've got, I don't know, I've got two days off in the week, which is nice. I'm, I'm looking after Grouse. Do you remember Grouse? Mm. Uh, so Grouse is coming to... Uh, He's like an older version of Alfie. Essentially. Yeah. Well, and also sort of like terrier yeah. type, uh, yeah. a totally different species. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so uh, Very I, I'm, I'm looking after Grouse while uh, my friend uh, James and the lovely Jill go on uh, a holiday, and uh, yes, I've got the Wednesday and, th- uh, Wednesday and Thursday off this week because I'm working all next weekend. Oh, 
nice. Yeah, often you market races on Saturday. That'd Lovely. be nice. Uh, absolutely. And then th- there's only one other person we have to ask, and that's why I've, why I've left him till last, because frankly, he is always doing so many cooler things than the rest <laughs> of us uh, could only dream of doing. So uh, sit down and get very depressed, everyone, as Armandos tells us what an amazing week he's got ahead. No, no, no. It's uh, uh, scheduled to fly cadets tomorrow, so uh, flying about four and a half, five hours-ish in the morning, Uh, flying some army training missions uh, later on in the week but bet, most hang on whoa, 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 whoa. hang on have you have you have you signed up again are you that bored <laughs> oh no the this is one of the things that we get to do with the civil air patrol is train oh. the army on how to control airplanes so uh we oh, go wow. out and do some uh precision approach radar uh, approaches and they vector you around the airspace and make sure you don't hit anything else they're brand new air traffic controllers so you kind of got to keep an eye on them but uh, <laughs> but most importantly, if the weather's good, and right now it is looking pretty good, I'm going to take my lovely bride up for a night flight tomorrow evening. Ooh, okay. Yes, lots, lots of um, yes, GoPros for that one, please. That sounds amazing. Well, we can put GoPros, but I, I don't know that you'll be able to see anything. So <laughs> <laughs> that, They work at night, right? Not really work. Okay. Well, all right. Forgive me know. then. Yeah. Well, what, what is the what, gonna... what is the bon- bonus of what, why a night flight then? If you're not going to be able to see anything, it's fun. What, what, oh no! So the cameras won't be able to see anything. But one of my favorite things to do is get up in the air, uh, turn all of the lights off inside the airplane, and just stare at the stars. Uh, and it's the oh. coolest thing when you can just kind of pull the power back a little bit, make the airplane quiet, and then you just feel like you're floating in space because there's no horizon so oh my god armando the rest of us men here are absolutely screwed when you're pulling tricks like that seriously (laughs) well you're perfectly safe i'm very well taken so Um, yeah i know but you're making the rest of us look awful (laughs) go get a pilot's license matt oh yay That, I'd love right, to uh, yes, okay, I'm off. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so Nev, I don't know how you're feeling after that. I mean, mind you, I don't suppose uh, I don't suppose the the lovely Auntie Sue would be too fussed about something like that. That's her uh, idea. No, that wouldn't yeah. be her idea of a good time. No, yeah. indeed. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but I'd quite like it. Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> oh. true. Oh well, may, well, maybe well, Armando can take you up and sort of stare yeah, stare lovingly well, into your eyes while. Uh, nice. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, Nev, if you if you make it over to Charlotte, I'll take you up in the air. We'll get a bottle of champagne and Ooh. I'll. You know, close the curtain and you right. can there we are. enjoy wow. the, the airplane. Where's, where's the Patreon music when you need it? <laughs> yeah, where's the dirty music? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, dear. So uh, that uh, is where we are going to wrap up episode... Oh, there we go. 287 of the Plane Talking UK podcast for this week. Don't forget to join us next week for another show, and we're going to say a big thanks not to forget all the people who have joined us tonight in the YouTube chat room to watch the live show. Thank you to everyone who's joined us. Also, Dr. Steph has dipped in as well, so hello to you, Dr. Steph. Uh, she's uh, she's planning on jumping out of aircraft of she when is. she's 105. Right, apparently. <laughs> okay. Yes, so that's good. Yes. And she's, uh, she's about the only one who's going to live long enough, probably, to do that. So it's just, oh look, it's the it's the oh. it's the carry on addition to the family. Oh. This is what we love to. See. Oh, oh. Uh, right. That's and it, also he's just far too adorable. It's time to go. Thanks yeah. to everyone who listens to the audio version of the podcast. Yep. Thanks for downloading the show, and don't forget if you do download the show via iTunes. 
uh, please do give us a little bit of feedback on iTunes because okay. that helps to promote the show on iTunes and people to find the show. Yep. So give us a little star rating on there. Indeed. That'd be Once again, uh, for any feedback in general, if you've got any ideas or audio or feedback, f- audio feedback or, or suggestions about how we can sort of because we want to keep moving the show forward, mm. make sure that you're hearing from us what you want to hear. Yeah. Uh, get in touch. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, if you want to get in touch with our various hosts uh, in, uh, privately, uh, independently, <laughs> for want of a better word, then, uh, then it's uh, our various names and then at plaintalkinguk.com. So that's it then for episode number 287. Have a fantastic One weekend. of these days, you know, we'll wrap up the show oh, really no. quickly. Uh, a, <laughs> stop butting in. Saying, good for, saying goodbye for 10 minutes now. Have a fantastic <laughs> weekend with whatever you're doing across the globe. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Stay safe and see you next week. So from me and Matt here in the PTUK studios and from Nev and Armando in their respective studios, everybody say goodbye. 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 Goodbye.